Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. Welcome to Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside my good friend from the Bucks Radio Network. And uh, he's doing everything else as well. He does a post-game show on ESPN. He's even doing this podcast right now from the studios of ESPN Milwaukee, I believe. So this, this guy, this is the dedication that this man has. He's had some computer issues. Nothing can hold him back. We love when we get to hang out with Justin here on the show. So I'm pumped that he's been able to do that. Today's episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. Uh, we're going to have a tough decision with the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week, Justin. Probably a few candidates this week that we can go to. The Bucks lead the Eastern Conference Finals 2-1, Justin. Uh, we haven't caught up since this series started. I imagine... Being in Fiserv Forum for Game 1 was a little bit tense. I imagine being in Fiserv Forum for Game 2 was very enjoyable. How have the Eastern Conference Finals been so far? Because it looks to me, from afar, that Milwaukee is just going absolutely off right now. Uh, being in Pfizer Forum for Game 3 was equally tense too. Right, yeah. Um, game 1 was weird. That I know I, I saw there was a lot of blowback on uh, what the fans were like. That It, it just kind of seemed like... Everyone was kind of rebounding from an emotional series against Brooklyn. I think we certainly saw that with the team, that there was a little bit of a letdown. And I think the crowd was kind of the same. And then you realized, okay, this is a pesky Hawks team, so they're going to give the Bucks some fits. And, I mean, game two was just an absolute party, especially once you got through those choppy waters in the first quarter. And it is just absolutely insane outside the arena where they've added the additional screen on the side of the building now to to be in an empty arena as we're calling the game and to leave during uh, quarter breaks to walk to the bathroom that's in the arena and be one of four people that's in that building. <laughs> but to just hear the crowd outside and as you're walking past, seeing just the large gathering of people out there, it is still amazing how much Bucks fans turn out for those road games where they're not even in that arena. So this feels like a silly question because I assume when you're broadcasting the games anyway, you've got the headset on, so you probably can't. But I feel like they're making so much noise out there that you would be yeah. able to hear it. Yeah. So it, especially during the Nets series in Game 7, when yeah. the fee that was going out to the Deer District was about a second or two behind the fee that we were getting from in the arena... And so when Kevin Durant missed that final three, at first, I, I think there was a lot of like shock and awe for us in the booth of, wait a minute, did he, did he actually miss that and airball it? The Bucks are going to win this? And then a second or two later, all of a sudden, you just heard an eruption. Even with the headsets on, we could hear everything going on outside the building. Yeah, that's very cool. Um, as I said... I definitely get jealous. I actually had a few people or a few listeners that have reached out and said, is there any way you can get back for the finals? Unfortunately, no, I can't. I have to say this, if the Bucks, of course, make it. I never thought 
that I would be in a situation where Milwaukee might be making the NBA finals or they're this close to making the NBA finals and I would be here in Australia. I didn't think that that was something that would ever happen, but um, it's, it's looking that way. But I'm very excited for the locals that are, that are having so much fun out there in the Deer District. As far as game four goes, the update on Trey Young, foot bruising, foot bone bruising is, is what they've said here. He's questionable for game four. I would expect that he's going to play. Uh, the one thing I would say is, and you know, just listening to national shows, broad, uh, podcast, trying to catch up on some content and, and see what other people are saying about this series. Certainly the Trey Young injury has been a heavy talking point. And look, I, I think it's fair enough. I mean, I, I don't think that there's anyone that can really sit here and say that the Hawks would have won that game. I mean, who knows the way that it would have turned out. But I do try and look at it if the shoe was on the other foot. And if Giannis went down with an injury like that and the Bucs ended up losing the game, there's no question that Bucs fans would be saying, well, it was because Giannis went down. So uh, while it can be a little bit annoying because it feels like it takes away some of the credit from Milwaukee winning that game three and certainly what Chris Middleton was able to do in the fourth quarter, I do understand why Hawks fans feel that way. And for anyone that's had a bone bruise of any description, if this is at least somewhat severe, this is, I mean, that's really, really painful. I mean, this is going to be difficult for him to get up for game four. I'm interested to see how he looks. Yeah. And I, I um, maybe it was just because I was, I was in such a trance with what Chris was doing, <laughs> but I didn't really notice uh, Trey young being hobbled or clearly not a hundred percent until it was, uh, I think it was the, the 101 to 98 shot that Chris hit. It was one of the threes out there on the wing where Trey was matched up on him and you could see him look to, I think it was Bogdanovich basically saying, we need to switch and you need to get over here and help me out on Middleton. And by then it was too late that that's when you noticed, Oh yeah, he is uh, he is definitely impaired by that. And look, it's unfortunate. Um, and I, we already know what the narrative is going to be. So we're just going to have to deal with it that, it's going to be, well, the Bucks didn't face a full-strength Brooklyn team, and if Brooklyn was healthy, they would have won. They, uh, Atlanta gave them a scare, and then Trey Young gets hurt. But it, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. That I know it's not in apples to apples, but Giannis got hurt in that Heat series last year. And, I mean, even Phoenix, they have the injuries to Anthony Davis that they go through. They don't face the Nuggets with Jamal Murray. They're facing the Clippers without Kawhi Leonard. So each team has gone through it, and, you know, to me, it should be a badge of honor that if you're the teams that have been able to stay healthy when nobody else is able to do it, that has to count for something. Yeah, it is interesting that as this series currently stand, and we know how quickly things can change in the course of a series, that the teams with at least the lead in their series right now, Phoenix and Milwaukee, uh, are the two teams that, look, they've benefited from some injuries. You know, And I mean, I don't think that's a surprise. If you go back through history, it's a very common theme that, we always talk about it. Good luck is obviously a big part of it. And as we're recording this, that game uh, four, or sorry, with, what would the, there must be game five. Yeah, game five, Phoenix and Clippers is super close here in the fourth quarter. So the Phoenix, Phoenix Suns trying to book their spot in the NBA finals. The one thing I will say about Trey Young, and you brought up that three that Chris hit where Trey Young was trying to get off him. I think Atlanta have done a decent job of being able to hide him throughout this series. I mean, we spoke about it before the series began that, the Bucks, if they get Trey Young, then they're going to try and score on him and they should be able to score on him with ease. And that is the only downside of having PJ Tucker in the starting lineup because, as we know, I mean, he's not a threat offensively. Even if you use him as a screener, it's not exactly 
a situation where the Bucks are going to be like, all right, let's get PJ Tucker rolling to the basket and find him for some layups. It's just not what he does. So the Hawks have been able to hide him a little bit. So it wasn't a surprise that in one situation where Trey Young was on Chris anyway, he was like, get me out of here because he doesn't want to be in that spot. Um, and, and the other thing I would say is as far as him looking hobbled, I don't think it's totally crazy to say that I thought he looked pretty good on offense and defense when he had to run back up the court. He's like, um, uh, you know, I'm actually pretty sore. I don't know if I want to run back in transition here, which by the way is what the Bucks have been feasting on through the series anyway with Drew Holiday leaking out and getting a bunch of easy buckets because Trey Young in general isn't someone that wants to run back on defense. So that's the only point I would make about that. But again, no doubt uh, he looked sore. It's going to be an injury that might impair him. I want to talk a lot about Giannis on this podcast and on this episode and some of the stuff that he's been doing not just in this series but across this postseason because I've said it before the the discussion points the talking points for some reason around Giannis it's always the negatives and it's not the fact that he's putting up just absolutely absurd numbers right across this postseason and certainly in this series rather than praising Chris Milton and for the effort and the performance that he put on in the fourth quarter. Of course, the talking point was simply the fact that it wasn't Giannis. I, I think it's pathetic. I've said it before. I, I think it's a real shame as well that it, this this guy is is as great as he is and he doesn't seem to get the, the credit that he deserves. But before we do that, let's talk about the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. And maybe I'm, I, I'm going to get caught up in the moment here and I'm going to give it to Chris Milton, Justin. Now, of course, Giannis, again, we're about to talk about his brilliance. He would be deserving of the Mikulov Ultra Player of the Week. But Chris Milton coming off that 20-point fourth quarter, it would be hard to go past him, right? It's impossible to go past him that um, the 20-point fourth and just when they were down seven to outscore the Hawks himself, 17-7 to seven from that point forward. I mean, that could be what potentially swings the series. So he has to get it. I agree. And the thing that I loved about it was that you could see the enjoyment on his face. And I've said this before. It's kind of the funny thing about the Bucks players and uh, you know, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton. They don't show a lot of emotion, which is why I think, you know, Giannis is obviously, we've seen him over the course of the year with over the years with the mean mugs is obviously really fun. But PJ Tucker and Bobby Portis and the energy they have and the emotion they show, I think it's why they've become such fan favorites. But I'm going with Chris Middleton. For the 38 points, the Mikulov Ultra Player of the Week. I'm not sure when Game 7, if that fits in this week here. But look, he had a nice moment in Game 7. Hit the game winner as well. So it's Chris Milton. Remember, Mikulov Ultra, only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories. Joy creates success. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. I certainly enjoyed watching Chris Milton uh, in the fourth quarter yesterday in Game 3. So Chris Milton is the Mikulov Ultra Player of the Week. Today on Road to the Finals, our NBA playoff coverage is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And at 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, we can all enjoy the games a little bit more this season. And that's a perfect segue into talking about Giannis because when you talk about enjoyment and the way that Giannis plays the game and the enjoyment he gets out of playing the game, the love that he has for his teammates and the camaraderie that they've been able to have together I think it's what separates Giannis in this era of superstars and the, the negative attention that gets drawn towards them. And we've seen it with Giannis this whole series long. Across the postseason, he's averaging 29 points, 13 rebounds, and five assists, 62% 
from two-point territory, despite the fact that every single player in the opposition team and everyone in the world knows where he's trying to score. They simply can't stop him. It's been unbelievable watching his postseason. And yet, of course, as we know, nothing but negative attention from the national media. Uh, I already slammed The Athletic on yesterday's podcast, but three articles about the free throw routine, despite the fact at the time that those articles came out, he was 9 for 12 through the series so far. It's just absurd. That, by the way, is an example of a couple of people that decided what they were going to write before the game even went down. And then they probably realized that it was a pointless story and a silly story, but they had to go through with it because they had no plan B. And I just think it's a shame that we're watching this playoff series and this playoff run from Giannis come through And he's had some real failures in the past. And I think that there's always been negative attention around Giannis. And, you know, last year, maybe it was fair enough. The year before, maybe it was fair enough, even if it was a little bit harsh. But for him to take on the challenge, sign the contract, say, no, I'm staying in Milwaukee, and now work through the struggles that he's had, whether it's at the free throw line, whether it is with the jump shot, the three-point shot, for him to be able to to work through and have this postseason, it's truly special. I just hope that eventually we can look at this and appreciate what this guy is doing because it's absolutely extraordinary. And, and I, it's just a, I just think it's a shame. It's just upsetting to me that it's not getting the, the credit it deserves for what he's doing out there. It's, um, you know, for what he's doing and the fact that all the talking points for the last two weeks have been Milwaukee's a terrible city and Giannis takes too long to shoot his free throws. And meanwhile, you just ran through the numbers, but there are 15 players in NBA history who have appeared in 10 or more games in the postseason. So it's not just, hey, they had one good series in the first round. Played 10 or more games and averaged 29 points or more and 13 or more rebounds. He is the first one to do that in 20 years. The last player to do this is Shaquille O'Neal. And among those 15 players that have done it, Giannis, Shaq, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain, Oscar Robertson did it. Um, that's the company that he's in, Bob Pettit and Elgin Baylor. So he is in an elite group of company with what he's doing through this postseason run. And it seems to be going under the radar, which I think Giannis is probably fine with and we're all fine with. And what's most astounding to me is we rattle off those names that he's in the company of. He is, by a wide margin, shooting the highest percentage on two-point shots of anybody in that list, even more so than Shaq and and Wilt and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, that he's hitting almost 65% of his twos. So it's funny how the talk of building a wall has dissipated over the course of this season, that he has seemingly figured it out, that he kept using the word maturity and his maturation as a player throughout the regular season. We've seen that through the postseason. And you think about midway through the Nets series where – things seemed to click for him where he figured out how to really attack Brooklyn and their defense and Blake Griffin. And he's carried it over here to Atlanta where, I mean, they have no answers for him, but he's making the smart play every time. And I mean, to me, you just, you can't say enough about him. And again, that list of names that we just put him in where he's doing this over 14 games and nobody has put up these numbers since Shaq, which is funny since, I think the more we watch him, the more you realize yeah, the comparison is he's the modern-day Shaq, that if he gets close to the basket, there's nothing you can do to stop him. And, I mean, for us to spend so much time talking about the free throws and everything else, it's just absurd because if he continues at this pace and if the Bucks reach the NBA Finals, he is going to put up one of the best postseasons we have ever seen in the history of the league. 
So it gets to a point where Giannis is doing such extraordinary things that you kind of have to fabricate things to pick at. And so the thing that it gets picked at in this situation right now is, of course, the token line of he's not a closer. And we've seen this over the course of his career. It's, it's easy to, to make this a topic because Chris Middleton had 20 points in the fourth quarter. It's easy to ignore the fact that Giannis hit a couple of really important buckets in that stretch, including that turnaround, which kind of felt fitting that he scored in a way that he often gets criticized for not being able to do in the fourth quarter. Again, go back to overtime in game seven. He hit that nice little hook shot as well. So there's been multiple occasions when he's been able to score in the fourth quarter. And the, the idea of who is a closer anyway is just such a ridiculous argument for me. Because if you go back through history and even look at a player like LeBron James, who pretty much universally is known as the, the best player of the world, certainly the best player the league has seen outside of Michael Jordan, you know, whatever side of the argument you fall on there, I don't really care. But what's made LeBron James so great is the fact that he's been able to trust his teammates and make the right pass and make the right basketball decision. And I think we've seen the maturity. You mentioned maturity. I think we've seen that with Giannis. And I remember earlier in the season, I can't remember if it was actually the opening night game against the Boston Celtics or it was one of the games against Brooklyn. In any case, the Bucs lost both of those games. But I think a feature of what we saw late in those games was Drew Holiday hitting some big shots and Chris Middleton hitting some big shots and Giannis being the guy that was facilitating a little bit or setting screens. And all this is to say that you can have the conversation about, well, Chris Middleton's a closer because he hit some jump shots last night and that's totally fine, but he's not able... The, the offense doesn't work that way and he's not able to get the freedom of those shots if Giannis isn't on the floor anyway. So it, it's kind of a ridiculous conversation to have because Giannis being on the floor and the attention that he creates, even if he has, is a screener rolling to the basket and all eyes are on Giannis, it just doesn't work without Giannis on the floor anyway. And the other point that is worth bringing up here, which is, is kind of funny to think about here, for all the talking heads that want to say that Giannis isn't a closer, let's look at fourth quarter points per game so far this postseason. So Giannis is averaging 7.7 points in the fourth quarter, these playoffs. Uh, just some some names. And to be clear, the leader in points per game in the fourth quarter in the postseason is Kevin Durant at 8.4. So he's only 0.7 points more than Giannis anyway. Jason Tatum, 8.3. Ja Morant, 8.2. Of course, those two only played one series. Trey Young's at 8. So he's at eight points per game. Giannis is at 7.7, so basically the same. Again, I would assume that Trey Young is called a closer, but he's scoring eight points on 40% from the field. Giannis is up at 59% from the field. Maybe you want to take it into account efficiency. Seems like it could be important when trying to close games, but Giannis is averaging more points in the fourth quarter this postseason than Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis, Paul George, Damian Lillard, Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard, Devin Booker, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic, Chris Paul, James Harden, Luka Doncic. You can keep going down and down and down. Anyway, you get the point. Giannis is scoring more than all those guys. I don't know about you, Justin, but to me, it sounds like he's doing just fine closing games. Yeah, and, you know, to me, I, I don't remember what the exact quote was. But what Giannis said after the game, after game three about being the man and recognizing, you know, my team needs me to be the man for the entire game. That doesn't necessarily mean I need to be the man in the final minute. And when Chris is playing like that, being the man is recognizing this guy's hitting shots. Let's get him the ball. So I need to do everything over the course of the game to set these guys up. 
And, you know, it, it's not as though he hasn't been a closer per se that, you know, I just, I think all the questions that we have had about him have been answered in this postseason run with not only the, the averages that he's put up here, but I mean, go back to game seven. And I know you guys talked about this quite a bit at the time, but he goes toe to toe with Kevin Durant, who is playing like a seven foot Steph Curry and the best player in the world during that series. And Giannis is going toe to toe with him in that game. And Giannis's baby hook to tie the game. He came up with some big moments in that game. Did he hit the game winning shot? No, but he hit some pretty big shots late in the game and kept them afloat and then recognized I'm going to let my teammate take over here. So I think it's just, you know, the maturity is the best way to put it that to me, we have witnessed him grow tenfold as a player during this postseason run that you think back to two years ago and I remember and you were there too when when the Bucks had their exit press conferences after losing to the Raptors and Giannis talked to us then about you know at the time I was starting to learn some of this of watching how they would defend me and thinking yeah this is what I need to do going forward and these are the things that I'm going to work on um, last season obviously was a much different animal for all of us but hearing him put in that work and seeing, okay, these are the steps that I need to take. It may have taken a little longer with them falling short last season, but we're seeing all of that fall into place this season. And a lot of it has to do with the teammates that he has around him too. But part of that is being that leader and recognizing we've made some changes and we've brought in some guys that I can rely on. And I don't have to feel like I got to take over here because I feel like that was part of the problem in the past where it was basically – Giannis and Chris, you guys got to do everything for us. And, you know, we know how Giannis is, where he shoulders that responsibility. And part of it probably turns into, if we're going to win, it's got to be me doing it. And he's recognized, I have enough guys around me now that I can take a step back and I can help us win by doing things other than scoring. And that's what we're seeing now. Let's talk about betonline.ag, Justin. And... The Bucs, as it currently stands, 2-1 up in the Eastern Conference Finals. I believe they are the favorites to win the title. I, I can't remember a time. I, I don't know whether they've been favorites for the title through the season. But anyway, I think they're in that position now. But you can find out all the odds at betonline.ag. You can also get MLB, NBA, NHL, all the different sports that you need or you might be into, UFC, MMA. It's all there at betonline.ag. So don't sit on the sidelines anymore. This is your chance to get into the game as the teams prep for their runs to the playoffs. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That's BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. And then jump across to rockauto.com with the ever-increasing numbers of makes and models. It's now impossible for your local chain auto parts store to stock all the parts you need. Why endure often pointless and seemingly intimidating questioning like when I question Justin on this podcast and wait while the person behind the counter orders the parts on their computer choosing the only brand their warehouse happens to carry. You have computers with access to rockauto.com. Justin doesn't right now. He doesn't have a computer. He's struggling. But you can still do it on your phone. You can save time and money when using Rock Auto. Why choose to spend 30, 50, or even 100% more for the same parts from a chain store or car dealership? Go explore their easy-to-use website today and find the solution for your auto parts needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck just right locked on in the How Did You Hear About Us box so they know we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. 
just to wrap up the Giannis conversation here, and I do think, as you pointed to, and you went through it really well, whether it was the, the, the losing, which I think is part of the, the process of finding out what's the best way to win, uh, the, the maturity in general, I, I think being older, and yes, being a father, I think all these things uh, play into that, but also the responsibility and probably the understanding that he can't do it all himself. If you think about Milwaukee and what they're trying to achieve here, winning a title with the personnel that they have, the fact that they're just flat out in Milwaukee. I mean, it, the way that it's all set up and the way guys are now teaming up and trying to take the easiest path to a title, it, it's, it's almost impossible for a Milwaukee to win a championship. And it, it definitely is impossible if you have a star uh, like Giannis that isn't willing to defer a little bit and isn't willing to be unselfish. And, and I think that that's what we're seeing with Giannis and that's what makes him so great. And the other point I want to make, we saw the great training or practice video of Giannis laughing at himself with PJ Tucker for airballing shots and airballing free throws. And it, it was hilarious. And that's why we love Giannis because he's so unique. And I think that part of the reason why the, the media, and, and let me be clear, in particular, the American media, I've said this before, it's not lost on me that Giannis doesn't quite get the respect he deserves. Neither does Nikola Jokic. And to a lesser extent, neither does Rudy Gobert, even though he's elite in some of the ways that he plays the game. But they're all international stars. And I think these international stars are a little bit different. I think that does play into the the reasons why they don't get the credit that they should deserve. I mean, you talk with Jokic and Giannis, you're talking about the last three MVPs, but you never really see a lot of positive media about them. You just don't. But I think more than anything, Giannis deserves the credit for being willing to fail and being openly okay with the fact that, yes, sometimes things are going to go wrong. And as a Bucks fan, I think you certainly look at Giannis at the free throw line and you, you, you close your eyes or if you're Frank, you, uh, you look away or maybe you turn the TV off. I don't know what you do. But ultimately, I think that, he, that the reason why I respect him and, and love the way that he goes about it so much and have so much faith that he's going to figure out whatever he needs to figure out to be great is because he's willing to fail in the biggest moments. And that's just so rare. And that's generally what stops a player from being a very, very good player and going to all-time status because they get comfortable and they don't want to, be, they don't want to fail because what they're good at is so special that they don't need to go to the next level. But he's willing to do that. We've seen it in this postseason that he's willing to do that. And that's why he's on this incredible run right now that is, is truly special. And we don't know when it's going to end. We don't know how many games he has left. But I, I just hope eventually he starts to get the credit that he deserves because it's, it's one hell of a postseason run he's going on. It is, uh, it is so rare. And, I mean, it's amazing that he, you know, we, you, I, think, I think we talk about it more in football than we do in basketball. But just having this short-term memory, and you talk about it with the secondary a lot and cornerbacks of, yeah, you got to forget that you were just burned downfield. And that, I mean, that's Giannis, where he doesn't care if he was just 0 for 2 and I mean, as he joked in the video, I, I, I airballed back-to-back free throws in <laughs> Oklahoma. And if he's missed six free throws in a row, he's still in attack mode. And he's still thinking, I'm zero for zero in this game. And this is my first attempt at the line, which, you know, every coach talks about having them at that mentality, but it's easier said than done. And as you pointed out, show me the other stars that are willing to do that because, you know, you can point to taking the last shot of the game, but it's different when you're talking about, okay, we're down by one. You're not going to be vilified if you, lose a, if you miss a jump shot that results in you losing the game. Whereas 
a guy going to the free throw line and, oh, Giannis has just missed six in a row or Giannis airballed another free throw. I mean, that's where you get vilified. It's, it's a lot different where it's, it's not so boom or bust there in jump shots for a win versus some of these scenarios that Giannis has been through. And for him to just shake it off and act as though it didn't happen, I mean, that's what we should all strive to do. And right. here's a guy on the biggest stage doing it. Uh, just an update here, Justin. The, the Clippers, the Clippers, without Kawhi Leonard, without Zubats, whoever the hell else isn't playing for that team, they've somehow won on the road in Phoenix, which has been obviously a pretty difficult place to play this postseason. So as with all Clippers series, and shout out to our great friend Pratik Patel, he fights to live another day, and I hope the Clippers get through. I'll tell you this, it shocked me this morning because I actually thought about this when I was... Uh, letting my mind wander a little bit, thinking ahead. I was like, if the Clippers win this series, would the Bucks have home court? I was actually shocked to realize, no, they wouldn't. The Clippers actually had a better record than the Bucks in the regular season. Incredible. It's kind of kind of crazy to think about that. I think the Clippers were 47 and 25. Yeah, I think it was one game. One game. Yeah. One game. I mean, boy, and I, uh, I really... I want uh, success for the Clippers for our friend Pratik, but man, you, you talk about the emotional ledge that he'll be on if it is a Clippers-Bucks <laughs> finals. That I do not envy. His timeline? Can we, I, I would like to see Pratik's timeline if it's Bucks-Clippers. Um, actually, watching Pratik, and for those that don't know Pratik, um, colleague, he, he's, a colleague we, he's definitely a colleague of yours, right? This, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, colleague of yours. And... Uh, his timeline or his tweeting during Clippers games is one of the most stressful things you can ever see in your life. It's, it's a really traumatic experience to watch Pratik tweet. Um, before we wrap this up, I want to look ahead to game four a little bit here, but I want to talk about coaching. We always talk about coaching. We certainly talk about it through the lens of Mike Budenholzer, and a lot of the times it's through trying to analyze what's real and what's not real with the critical lens towards Mike Budenholzer and, and how he's, uh, you know, performing through a series. And clearly this postseason, it hasn't been perfect. So that's, that's fine to say. But I think overall, by the end of the series, you kind of looked at it and said, well, I think he outcoached Spolstra. I think he outcoached Steve Nash. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I think he's outcoaching Nate McMillan so far. When you look at the adjustments, again, as is tradition with, with Bud, sometimes it takes longer than you would think. And the game one, some of the stuff, whether it was rotations, um, whether it was defensive strategy, again, a little bit head-scratching. I, I have said that, you know, you would like to think that you can roll into game one and have the perfect plan for someone like Trey Young. That's not exactly something that's easy to do. And I think we saw even in game three that while I think the Bucks played pretty good defense, they certainly had some ugly breakdowns. But when they were they were set, I thought they played some pretty good defense and you just have to tip your hat to Trey. I mean, he, he made some really tough shots. The thing that stood out to me, though, and has stood out to me this series has been Bud's willingness to say, okay, what's working for us in this game uh, lineup-wise? And again, it comes back to the versatility that the Bucks have and, and really the versatility they acquired with the P.J. Tucker trade, which also helped them overcome a Dante DiVincenzo injury, which when I'm listening to everyone talking about this series, no one ever mentions Dante DiVincenzo and the fact he's not playing. I mean, this is a starter for the Bucks. No one ever brings it up. I think it's a significant loss for the Bucs. There's no doubt about that. But the fact you have P.J. Tucker allows you to put him in that small ball lineup 
uh, again with Pat Connaughton, which has really worked well for most of the season. Pat's been a, a really effective player in those lineups. I think Connaughton's having a, a really good series so far. I, I think he's he's plus 30-something on the series, but the small ball lineup in particular has had great success. I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I was looking at them earlier, and, and they look great. The thing that was really head-scratching to me was that Nate McMillan didn't play Clint Capella at all in the fourth quarter. Now, not only did he not play Clint Capella in the fourth quarter at all, but he left John Collins on the bench forever with four fouls. And I think that that's something that we could have accused Bud of doing in the past, keeping guys out to try and preserve foul trouble. Giannis picked up two fouls within the first five minutes of this game. Bud got him a little bit of a rest. He did. And, and he probably wouldn't have done so otherwise. But I didn't think it was the worst move because you really can't afford to have him have three fouls. But then he brought him back in in the first quarter and then allowed him to play through it. I think it's something that we've seen improve from Bud. I thought it was a bad decision from McMillan to keep Collins out so long. And then when the Bucks went to their small lineup in the fourth quarter, not playing Capello was a head scratcher for me because if you think back to game one, the small ball lineup for the Bucks was was pretty successful. I mean, that's really what got them in a position to win the game. But ultimately, they lost because they couldn't secure the offensive rebounds. And they did that with size. And Capella was a factor. And then so was Collins. And you asked different guys to box out these big players. I thought it was a big mistake from Nate McMillan. I was surprised. Yeah, I... Um... As soon as John Collins went out, and it was early in the third, um, I assumed we would see him again. Like yeah. you, you, it's four fouls that it's not ideal, but the panic is when you hit five. And for him to be on the bench for basically the entire third quarter really surprised me. And the Giannis thing too. Um, so when he picked up his second foul, it was what I think four minutes into the game, and it was either ten. 10 or 13 that Atlanta was up at that point and Bud left him in that I think we all assumed great now you got to pull him but um Bud left him in and he didn't leave until they had got it back down to basically where it was and to me that was basically one of the biggest moments of the game that I think Bud again to give him some credit realized it's already been a really shaky start to put it mildly here and now Giannis has picked up two fouls if we pull him and Atlanta goes on a run this has the potential to really get out of hand where all of a sudden we're down 17, 18, or 20. So we have to give him credit for saying, I trust him to play much more cautious and he's got to be out there for the next few minutes just to make sure this thing doesn't spiral out of control because, yeah, he picks it up and then just looking at it now, he didn't leave the game for basically three minutes. So Bud trusted him to say, okay, for three minutes, we need you out there to at least – help us tread water here and then we can give you a rest and play it safe so to me that was a huge moment and you just look at the juxtaposition of of what uh, Nate McMillan did with John Collins I mean not that that decided the game but it could have gone a long way in deciding it and you know I'm with you that you can criticize it's it's taking too long to see these adjustments during that Brooklyn Nets series and I mean the start to the series too of it's one thing if you seemingly don't know how to react to Trey Young if this is the first round of the playoffs. And, okay, I guess this is what he's going to be doing here. But that there was two previous rounds where he did this exact same thing. (laughs) That's discouraging, sure. But they made the adjustment mid-game. And it it just came down to the Bucs not getting rebounds and not hitting shots. And we saw them make some smaller adjustments as well. We still haven't seen a whole lot of it. But 
We've seen a willingness for Bud at times to pressure Trey Young and throw two guys out there and try and trap him. So we have seen some things. And, and to me, the biggest thing, which has been a, a playoff long theme for him, is the amount of minutes that we're seeing certainly Giannis and Chris and Drew play, but all of the starters. And I mean, even to recognize, okay, we have to play small at times if this isn't working with Brooke. It worked in game two, but here it's not working again. We got to play small. And that means Pat Connaughton is going to play more minutes than Brooke Lopez. I mean, that's a tough decision to make. So we have to give Bud credit for doing that as well. We should also give Brooke Lopez credit. I mean, there's a lot of guys that would probably be frustrated by that, but he's consistently been a player that's like, well, you know, I'll do whatever you need me to do. And I do think in that situation there where Brooke Lopez was minus 17 in his 24 minutes, I mean, it was a struggle. And I, again, I, there were some breakdowns for sure. We spoke about on the podcast yesterday, the breakdown with Bobby Portis, where they, both guys just were kind of confused and didn't know what was going on. But uh, uh, overall, Trey hit some tough shots. And I do think that in the end, if Trey is hitting those shots anyway, then it's like, well, okay, we may as well take advantage and play small. But then we saw in game two that Brooke had a, a really great impact. And if that that game required the guys to play fourth quarter minutes, he would have topped 30. So we've really seen it yo-yo so far through this series. But I like the fact, again, that Bud has been willing to say, okay, let's try some things. And and sometimes it's simple, but you know, having that versatility and, and these guys that you can... You can rotate through and you can go small, you can go big. That's all we've ever really asked. We've said just be willing to, to try different things. He's certainly been willing to do that. And again, sometimes you just need to outperform the opposition coach. I don't think it's been a great series for Nate McMillan. Certainly, I think he's a little bit hamstrung. They are certainly injury prone. Uh, one other point I want to make um, before we wrap this up, when you look at the way that they've struggled to score the ball, Bogdanovich again, three for 16 yesterday. He looked like he was moving better. He just couldn't find his shot. Uh, they don't have a lot of options. They really don't. Kevin Herter has struggled. Those guys are certainly capable of having a big game four and leading the Hawks to win. There's no doubt about that. So you can't let your guard down. But I think, <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, Danilo Gallinari right now, I mean, he's been an inconsistent playoff performer to say the least through his career. But geez, he's hitting some tough shots in this series for sure. And I, I just always felt comfortable watching this game three because I my thought was, well, if, your way to victory here is through Danilo Gallinari post-up turnaround jump shots, then I think you've got to feel pretty good about that if you're the Bucks. And if he hits him, he hits him. But I think you stick with it and you just say, look, we're not going to double-team Gallinari, okay, at this point. If he wants to take those shots, we'll try our luck. We'll see how we go. And a lot of that is playoff basketball. I mean, if guys are going to hit tough shots, the key is not to panic. Stick to the plan and you, you, you trust and you hope that they're going to stop making those, those difficult shots. And I think that they've been relying heavily on the production of Gallinari, which I, it doesn't feel sustainable. Well, and that's, uh, I was talking about that with somebody yesterday um, inside the building. I can't remember who it was, but somebody with the team I was talking with and, and they had brought up Gallinari at halftime of, man, he keeps finding, you know, Pat Connaughton on him and, mm. and we got to do something different than that. And, and my thought was, no, you don't like yeah. if, if they want to take advantage of it, so be it. That if you want to keep feeding Gallinari, great. We will live with that as long as it's not Trey Young getting him going and Trey Young initiating the offense himself. So I, I think that's that's been a win for the Bucks there. Um, and the other thing is they're not, I guess, bluntly targeting Trey Young. Kind of the similar things that we talked about with James mm-hmm. Harden in the previous series, but they are targeting him in some ways. Where PJ Tucker, at least in the last two games, is just destroying him on the offensive glass, yeah, which yeah. should happen. And all the leakouts as well, which we really started to notice in game two. I mean, 
credit to them there as well of, okay, when Trey's going to shoot that, just get down court because he's more often than not going to be the first one back down there. And it's going to force him to have to defend either Drew or a big. So to me, those are two big adjustments that they've been able to make. And, and I agree to the last thing on, on Bogdanovich. I thought he actually looked okay in game three, that it was noticeable to me that he looked somewhat normal or at least more so than we saw in the first two games because that you just couldn't help but notice, man, he is a shell of himself in these two games, but he looked better. It's just still not falling for him. And, and I'm going to be curious to see what this does for Chris because we've seen him be a very streaky shooter throughout his career. So now it seems like maybe he's gotten revved up here and we typically see that carry over for a couple of games. So between that and the fact that there's no DeAndre Hunter and the Hawks really have no good options for defending him, this could be some big games for Chris to help the Bucks close out the series now in this week. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point you make because if you think back to the series against Brooklyn and this ties back into the the crowd or, or some suggestions that the Bucks should be trying to target Trey Young, they kind of don't have to against Atlanta because Giannis is getting whatever he wants. Chris Middleton feels comfortable getting his shot off against any of these guys. Yeah, it hasn't always dropped, but he's going to be able to get good looks. Same with Drew Holiday. So it's a little bit different to the Brooklyn series where it felt like they should probably be trying to take advantage of any angle they could because while Brooklyn weren't known as a defensive powerhouse, they certainly had the, the size and athleticism to cause problems, which I, I just don't think Atlanta have. So you kind of you kind of don't want to go out of your way trying to say, well, okay, well, they're hiding Trey Young and Pat Connaughton and PJ Tucker. Let's get them shots. I mean, that's not <laughs> – I mean, Atlanta will be very happy with that. So I think part of it is just, as you sort of pointed to, the fact that across the board, the Bucks feel like they're going to be able to get some really good offense. And, and that's uh, where we've seen them fuel these last couple of wins, even though the three-point shots still haven't been falling um, to the consistent levels through all the guys that we've, uh, that we've expected and they had their struggles in Game 3 before Chris got red hot. There's no doubt about that. Starting July 19th, the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021, presented by Locked On and Odyssey, featuring analysis from the GOAT of NBA Mock Drafts, Chad Ford, and the Odyssey NBA experts, Brian Scalabrini and former general manager, Ryan McDonough. I think he, wasn't he with the Suns? Oh, geez. Yeah. Oh, geez, they've been going pretty good since he moved on. Our locked-on NBA local experts will make selections and trades for your favorite basketball teams throughout this week-long special event. Search the Ultimate Mock Draft 2021 on the new Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Odyssey is your home uh, is your audio home for all the sports podcasts, music and news that matter to you. That's Odyssey A U D A C Y. Justin, this has been a long pod. I think we should probably wrap it up, but I, I did just want to spend some time talking about Giannis. I think it's a worthwhile conversation to have. The listeners of this show, they don't listen for any type of Giannis slander. We we are not about that at Locked On Bucks. So it was it was fun. It was fun to talk about Giannis about how great he's been. Um, we say it all the time. But uh, we're, we're fortunate. We're fortunate to watch this guy play on a nightly basis. We've been fortunate to do so for eight years now. And, uh, yeah, just uh, Frank always says it. Don't take it for granted. He's great. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the number – I have nothing to add other than that. The numbers back it up that this is truly incredible what he is doing, and it has the chance to be a very, very special run for the obvious reasons. All right. We'll wrap it up. Game four. Uh, that's going to be coming to you Tuesday nights. 
your time Wednesday morning for me. I, I did tweet this out and someone said, you know, you can say the, the Australian times of the game. There's a lot of Australian listeners. I feel like that's really opening a can of worms because then I have to cater for the Greek listeners and, and all the other listeners across Europe and, and Asia. What about everywhere else? It's just, it's a lot if I start doing that, but I'll do it for today. 7.30 p.m. Central Time in Atlanta, 10.30 a.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. I'll be watching with the coffee. Looking forward to podcast after the game with Frank. Make sure you join us then. Appreciate everyone listening. For Justin and myself, we'll catch you guys tomorrow.